Zone World. My guest this week is Matt Greenfield, also known to many as MC Homeless. He's got a new movie out, his directorial debut, uh, Destroy Cleveland, which is a documentary about Cleveland hardcore. And we're going to talk about that and also talk about him as a musician. And I thought it was a real tight interview. I want to say that this Talk Singer tour is happening in about a week and a half. So um, Pittsburgh, Youngstown, Detroit, Grand Rapids, uh, Guelph, Ontario, Kingston, Ontario, Portland, Maine, New Haven, Philadelphia, Annapolis, Baltimore, D.C., Richmond, stand up. Uh, PeepHeightWithFriends.com for the dates. Oh, also I have a new video out from my Talk Singer album. Just uh, check out the website. It'll be on there. It's called Don't Die. The artwork, as always, is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. This is hosted... As always, by Splice Today. Check them out at splicetoday.com. Oh yeah, one note before we kick it off. This is yet another long-distance episode. Um, This isn't going to become like an all-Skype show or anything like that, but uh, Matt was supposed to be in town, and then he couldn't get to town, so we wanted to make it happen regardless. Let's Let's go go in. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, which is dead smack in the middle of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Cleveland, Ohio. So I, I kind of got the best of both worlds as far as bigger cities. Youngstown's a smaller place. It's not rural by any means. It's, it's just a very small post-industrial sort of city. There wasn't a lot of external things going on, so I kind of created my own internal world with, uh, you know, just had to entertain myself in my head and watched a lot of horror movies and listened to gangster rap like N.W.A. and Ice-T, and that was that was sort of my childhood right there. Pro wrestling, horror movies, and gangster rap. What did your parents do? My dad works for a fireworks company, Phantom Fireworks, and my mom works for a hospital. She works in the cafeteria. Yeah, I've seen Phantom Fireworks many times. If you tour, you know, what's what's that one exit? It's the big exit in, in PA. I forget what it is, but there's a huge Phantom Fireworks there right off the turnpike. Oh, like a Breezewood or something? Breezewood, yeah. that's it. Yeah, Breezewood, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. When did you form the idea of making music yourself? I bought a bass in, I must have been in 10th or 11th grade, I think 11th grade. And I was in some punk rock bands, but I have ADD, so I got really kind of over playing bass really fast. And then I was like, no, I just want to be the singer. I want to, I want to sing. So I 
started singing. I wouldn't even call it singing, more like screaming and growling and, and some hardcore, grindcore type bands. And then yeah. started rapping about a year or so later. And and what was your style like at that time? Oh, man. I'll, I'll honestly never forget the first rap that I wrote. I went to Columbus, Ohio to visit some family that was still living there. And I... Yeah started excavating some of my old rap tapes, uh, Boogie Down Productions, Ghetto Music, uh, The Blueprint. That was that KRS-One album. EPMT, I think it was back in business. And I was getting real into, like, underground rap, just sort of, you know, scouring the internet for, you know, I'm like, what's going on with, like, rap these days? And I stumbled upon Necro, so... He was one of my very first influences, and you can only hear it in my very first demo tape, but it's really funny. Like, I sort of emulated his Brooklyn accent, so I have I had a lot of, like, yo, what's up, motherfuckers? Like, on the <laughs> yeah. first tape. Like, just that, that sort of sound, like, fuck you, eat a dick. Like, <laughs> just, just funny necro, necroisms. That's awesome. I think Necro is one of a kind, and he's sort of like uh, a macabre, like ridiculous version of Cool G Rap or something. I don't even know, but yeah, no, exactly. Were you a fan of their duo album? Oh, Necro and Cool G Rap. Nah, I mean, I listened yeah. to it like once, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, but not, not really. I was psyched on it. Nice, nice. Yeah, I just, I think I was beyond my Necro point at that point. So as you start to do this rap music as as your main thing, like, uh, do you start playing shows like the same way you would with the hardcore stuff, or or what do you do exactly? I think that I was really influenced by the confrontational style of Cleveland hardcore. You know, I like to jump on things and throw things around and stir the pot a little bit, and that definitely all came from. Well, besides me just being a mischievous person, I think a lot of it did come from Cleveland hardcore yeah. and just the influence, the the impressionability, if that's a word, uh, of the years of going to see Cleveland hardcore and just seeing the guys just, just throw around stuff and, you know, act crazy. And I was, you know, when I was going to rap shows, it wasn't necessarily like that. I mean... My first rap show was Wu-Tang Clan, so I'm sure, as you can imagine, they weren't exactly, like, throwing around mic stands and cussing out the audience or anything. Did you find people that were responsive to that in the beginning, or, like, what was it like coming to these hip-hop shows and, like, bashing shit? You know, it, it, it always went well, surprisingly, with the occasional... uh times of me just getting like thrown out of venues like get the fuck off the stage you know <laughs> like one of those i mean and that right, even right. happened later in into my career you know it's like oh, i'm bored i'm gonna smash something get the fuck off the stage we're not paying you fuck you and other times it was like oh man that's awesome we've never seen like anyone with your style of music necessarily be so confrontational and you know, it's it, it's not necessarily what I base my career off of. I mean, that's sort of the circus that goes along with it. But, you know, I mean, first and foremost, I was an MC. But, yeah, I mean, I, the people definitely – it's funny. When I lived in Greenville, which, you know, we, we played together there a handful of times or hung out there, and 
uh, people would start to bring like old TVs to shows for me to smash and funny little things. Like I remember someone brought a microwave and I was like, I'm not going to smash that. Like, I don't want like fucking radioactivity or whatever's in there. Like, you know, poisoning me or I don't, I don't know what's in a microwave. I just didn't want to smash it. All right. That's, that's too far. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we first crossed paths in 2005, maybe. Yeah, at the uh, what was that place called? Quiet Storm. The Quiet Storm in, in, in yeah. South Pittsburgh. That's that's right. That's when I met you and Burnham, and I know you had some other guys with you. Jones might have been yeah. one of them. Yeah, that was that was the first time. At that point, like, who else had you come in contact with? Like, who who were you playing shows with in like early earlier two thousands? My circle was really small back then. And it mainly extended to Pittsburgh and Cleveland. So you had Davey, of course, and the Dreadnoughts in Pittsburgh, Jack Wilson in Pittsburgh, who I'm sure you probably know. Totally, totally. And then Cleveland, uh, there was a guy, and I don't even know if he raps anymore, Ion Anomaly. And I remember doing Mm. some early stuff with him, whether it was like rap battles or just random shows. And then... um, Eddie Fleischer, Johnny LaRock. He was he was doing the Johnny LaRock and Mushmouth thing at the time. And there was there was so they were my Cleveland Connect. Davey was sort of my uh well he was my Pittsburgh Connect. It Obulus in Indiana was an early one. Oh yeah. Uh great guy, Rick. I met him through the dreadnoughts. And then everything else was really just punk rock based. I was playing with a lot of punk bands. And that was like a good match. You feel like you, you like found punk dudes that were down with what you were doing. Most of the time, occasionally I would play to some of those punker than now people, you know, that were just like not into it. Cause it wasn't punk music, which, you know, in ways I can understand and in other ways I want to just fucking yell at them. But, and I did sometimes, you know, but yeah, I think that my music, as far as punk, especially at the time before it got too hipstery and too uniform, I think that my music fit in at a lot of shows, and I would say some of my best shows were definitely with punk bands. Like, how did you start touring in the U.S., and, and when? You know what's really funny and this isn't a fact that a lot of people know. It must have been around 2004, 2005. Man, for my first probably five years of touring, not only did I not have a car, or maybe at times I had a piece of shit car, but I didn't even have a computer. And one of my first people I toured with was John Quackenbush, who I'm not sure if you know him or not. He goes by John Q. Public. So I fly down to Texas oh, and, you know, we, we drive all the way up to like upstate New York, I think Plattsburgh, and we play a show for five people and we play in Connecticut, which is how I linked up with the DIY bandits. And we play in Indiana with, I don't even fucking know who to tell you the truth. We play Ohio, you know, we're not really, you know, it doesn't make sense financially. It doesn't make sense geographically. We're just sort of taking shows where we can. And that was my first tour. 
um, trying to think of some other then then with Eddie Fleischer, Johnny LaRock, we do weekends. We do Connecticut, and that's when I started to link up with Chesky. We do uh, Indiana. We do Cleveland. We do Pittsburgh. You know, it was all very regional at that point. And then I moved down to North Carolina, and, you know, me and Davey did a tour, I remember. And then I put up a post on MySpace, and I'm sure he'll listen to this podcast or he fucking better. But Burnham, Burnham responded. It was one of those Facebook posts. I said, Hey, I need someone to tour with. Do you have a car? I'll book the shows. And I had only met Colin that one time with you. And me and Colin have a really silly history, as I'm sure you know. You know, we've yeah. fought like brothers and toured the whole world. And you know, just tore it up night after night. But, you know, he we fought, I swear to God, we fought probably the first night of tour. And was that the same tour that was you, Colin, and Polly? That was the next tour. And that was like a month-long tour. And that was just fucking grueling. I mean, mm. looking back, I don't think I was in like the mental shape to be on that tour. Burnham, Burnham has had to like carry me when I'm like all frail. People think I'm like this road warrior, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can go on. I feel sick, like <laughs> you know. And it was the middle of winter, and we're playing in like you know crazy ass conditions. We stayed at Chesky's house in New Haven, Connecticut, and I don't think anybody was staying there at the point. So it's freezing. And we're all arguing about who's who's going to stay upstairs and who's going to stay in like sort of the dungeony downstairs freezing area. And, you know, then there's a snow advisory and we're supposed to play in Portland, Maine the next day. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And Burns like, we're going. We're going. Get in the car. And I'm like, no, fuck you. We're not going. We're going to die. And, of course, we <laughs> didn't die. And, you know, we went and played this show. I mean, we we could have died. And I was just a wretch on that tour. I remember I just laying in the car like during half of the shows. I was just a wretch. And it was just a brutal tour. I mean, we got all of our names out there on that tour, whether we were playing five people or certainly not 500, maybe 50 a few times. But, man, we were we were all really broke, a lot younger. And I was vegetarian at the time. And I remember we played a show and someone gave us a chicken. Like, they were just like, take this chicken. Like, obviously, a cooked chicken. But I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to eat this chicken. Because, I mean, we were just broke that, that was back when you could yeah. do shows for $15 $20 and you know in your early 20s you don't necessarily care as much you know I mean you know it's funny now I'm like a person living with dental insurance and medical insurance I'm like man I gotta keep my job I need I need to get like this you know this medical thing these pills are like I gotta get a root canal which I'm getting Tuesday and back then you know it just <laughs> It wasn't a thought. It, it was not even. Right. Yeah, it was not a thought, not even remotely. What was it that had you feeling like such a wretch? I mean, I know it's the the brutality of tour, but was, did you feel this? Was it like depression or something? Yeah, I mean, I've always had depression, so that was definitely a part of it. And I didn't really take medication for it back then. I just drank 
and not like to the mm. point of being an alcoholic, but you know, I definitely drank to cover up my anxieties and depression. And Polly was completely sober. Uh, Burnham drank and smoked weed, but I don't think he was using it as a crutch like I was. And it was that combined with just the, of course, the brutality of touring and, you know, sleeping a few hours a night and living in the car and then doing it in winter, doing it for a month. And I had a new girlfriend at the time. All I wanted to do was spend time with her. And I was on tour with two guys and I'm just like, Oh man. I mean, it was just, it was hard. It was, it was really hard and I don't regret it, but I can never do it again. I could definitely never mm. do. It again. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. Like I feel that one of the things that's so hard with tour for me is I think you come face to face with some of the things you might not like, you know, about about making music or whatever like yeah. like like sometimes i think about the fact that there's not that many people like listening to what each of us might do but when we're on tour it's like you're face to face with that the kind of like bleak reality or something yeah absolutely i mean it's just something you do out of necessity when you have that artistic yearning inside of you and you really want to share what you're doing because, and you know, MCs might be, you know, egoist type people, but I mean, fuck it. Everyone I know in that time period had something to share and, yeah. you know, touring to do it and playing to 10 people was the way we did it in the way a lot of people still do it and you know, God bless them. I'm just not that tough anymore, but you know, it's, it's that face to face interaction. And you know, there are a lot of nights like you're playing in Roanoke, Virginia, and you know, everyone thinks you're fucking weird or whatever, but you know, it's those nights where you just really connect with just a handful of people and you form those bonds that I think really kept a lot of us going. And I guess around like that time, had you just put out Trapped Under an Ohio Sky? I think so. I think it just came out. And that was my first real album on a press CD, which, you know, it's funny how far technology has come. But back then it seemed like a big, and it was, it was a big deal to have yeah. a thousand CDs pressed by someone. And hell, I wasn't paying for it. You know, I didn't have the money. Yeah. I, I moved to North Carolina with two hundred dollars in my pocket. So it was it was definitely yeah, that was that was the trapped under an Ohio sky tour. And I think Colin had paper cranes and then Polly had oh, what's that CD? Who shot Polly Think with the cat on the cover? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that album was well received? Oh my god, more than I could have ever imagined. I mean, that album, and I still don't know to this day how it got as far as it can, besides the fact that I was like a self-promotion machine and my space was really popping. I mean, when you have people in Prague coming up to you, which was years later, of course, 
but with your CD for you to autograph with Trapped Under Ohio Sky, you know, it's it really tells you something. I'm like, how the fuck did this CD even get to Prague? How did this happen? Right. You know, and I mean, I had people hit me up all over the country at that point, like, come play a show, come play a show. And, you know, the more that went on, the more I could ask for a little more, you know, I could be like, whoa, cool. You know, I'd love to come play. And then, you know, you get to negotiate meals and at that point, maybe a hundred dollars or something. But, you know, it definitely felt like uh, a step up and and it's it's a product of its time. Definitely. I mean, rap is totally different now. And like an old man, when it comes to rapper age, it's like a playing in the NBA or something, you know, you're in your early thirties and you're like those kids, you know, ASAP this and ASAP (laughs) that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely well received and it felt awesome. It still feels awesome to think about that, which I haven't in a long time. I always think it's cool when, when people can look back at like, like you were saying, like the MySpace era and, and feel like they knew what they were doing. Like, cause I definitely felt like I had no idea, but like, like how, did, <laughs> when you say you were a self promotion machine, like what did you do exactly to, to get it out? There? I'll tell you exactly what I did. And I'm going to rack my brain. Cause I haven't thought about this in years, but yeah. Oh, so the CD comes out and first off, I'm hitting up every distro I can. I'm hitting up people like Chesky about international hip-hop distros, which would make sense for Prague now that I come to think about it. And that was number one. You know, number two was, you know, touring my ass off, being on MySpace constantly, linking up with other rappers, doing shows. And I think I did that really got me out there and it's so dated now but after a while i put my album online for free and i'm posting it on message boards and that that's what's going to date me i posted it on the project blowed message board i posted it on the public enemy message board i posted it on the ug you know underground hip pop.com message board i posted it and i posted i posted it on punk rock boards and you know my music was pretty political back then i posted it on anarchist forums politically left forums i mean i was just fucking machine when it came to that and where i got the mind to do that i have no idea i have no idea but i just had the drive it worked, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I didn't get rich. I mean, none of us got rich from that right. era. And, you know, I certainly didn't even barely make a living. You know, I was eating uh, macaroni and I don't know, what was I, beans out of the can, what, not even cooked. Oh, my God, it's fucking crazy to think about. But, you know, in a way, I was living off my art in that bohemian sort of way. I mean, that's what I was doing. And, you know, it kept me going. And I didn't die doing it, so hallelujah. Is that album what got the Homicide guys interested in you? It must have been. That's right. That's right. My album, thanks to Eddie Fleischer, Johnny the Rock, uh, was it was reviewed in that magazine, Alternative Press, AP, which I don't know if it is now, but at the time it was a big magazine. The only other underground rapper that it really been in there before me was astronautilus and every everybody attention to that stuff knows where he is now you know it was a 
it was a stepping stone yeah. for him. I mean, he, he's, he's rock starting it up now. He's fucking awesome. But you know, it, it, it's how I linked up with homicide. That is correct. Yeah. I guess break down that project for those that don't know. Well, you know, it was the split with homicide who I met or not met, you know, I linked up with them online from Indonesia and it's funny after the vinyl came out, I got an Indonesian fan base, which I am grateful for mm. to this day. And I feel like are some of the most rabid MC homeless fans. Like, I don't know who cares anymore. I haven't done it in so long. I think it's, it's a very, it's a lot smaller than it was. It was never big by any means, but the vinyl got distributed and it was only a few hundred copies, but you know, me and homicide definitely got out there and you know, we had a distributor in Germany. We had it through profane existence, the punk rock distributor in the United States. And it was, it was just really cool to have a vinyl out there. And to this day, it's a collector's item, which I think is so funny. I never would have thought back then. And people were paying like 40 bucks for it. And, you know, it's just, it's just very interesting to watch how that all unfolded. Did you end up going out there ever? No, no. And I've planned on it a few times and then something else comes along. And the closest I ever got was when I came to like that sort of fork in the road where I was like, well, I can either move to Austin with this money I have, or I can go to Indonesia. And I still want to go to Indonesia, but I moved to Austin. Yeah. I had to get out of Ohio. What was Youngstown like at that time as you're older? Like, cause I feel like it's such a crazy city, you know? It's absolutely insane. Um, I lived, let's see, what was Youngstown like at the time? Well, it's funny because I hadn't lived there in years. I mean, really, I hadn't lived there since I was 18 and went to college. But I came back after living in North Carolina and then Los Angeles briefly. And I moved back to Youngstown. Oh, right. And, oh, excuse me. I mean, there's nothing going on at the time. There's nothing. So I start booking shows in my friend Sarah's basement. And sort of create a small scene out of that. And I'm just like, Sarah, let me book some rappers. And she loved all the rappers. I mean, Chesky and AWOL one played in her basement. Um, Burnham played in her basement. JWF played in her basement. You know, I could, I could go on and on, but I started booking these basement shows and, you know, word of mouth, you know, just kept catching on and, you know, there'd be anywhere from 10 to a hundred people, these basement shows, and then a new bar opened up mm. while I was living in Youngstown. And at first they weren't doing shows. And then I had a friend who started to work there and I think she mentioned that they might want to do shows. And I started hanging out there a little bit. And that was the Lemon Grove. You, you've played at the Lemon Grove, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was gone, like everything in Youngstown. But so I start booking shows at the Lemon Grove and playing there. And I mean, I threw some ragers there. Um, I mean, we had Chesky and Lewis Logic, uh, Dark Time Sunshine had come through there. I threw a big hip hop festival with Baker. Of course, I cannot exclude Baker from that time period. Baker, it was me and Baker really creating the hip hop scene at the Lemon Grove. And, you know, we booked and Jacob Harver, the owner, and we we booked um, the Youngstown Independent Hip Hop Festival, the first annual 
in the last annual because <laughs> we both moved away. But <laughs> we we had AC alone headline that. I mean, it was wild. There were hundreds of people at that show, and I'm like jumping out of the window during my set, like trying to fight some dude that's heckling me. I mean, it was absolutely insane, but. Youngstown was, I mean, I was depressed at the point, you know, when, you know, there's certain things that can make a man depressed. Like, you know, when you're bored and not getting laid and you're living in a place that's cold, you're going to get depressed and you're like, man, this fucking sucks. So you try to create things. And, you know, I did, I did the best I could out of a sort of vacant Rust Belt city. And, you know, Youngstown has some cool things going on now and there's sort of been a, um, I guess a revival of the downtown area, but you know, when I first landed back yeah. in Youngstown, it was just like, man, there is nothing going on here. I mean, there was no DIY independent scene. There was, there was one music festival with local bands once a year that people came downtown for, but I mean, it was, it was just sort of a vast, black hole so i was like all right diy let's do it ourselves do it yourself let's let's make something happen let's book these rappers and these punk bands one thing i was interested in is you toured europe and did a circuit that i feel like has since become the circuit for people to do you know yeah like the first european tour you did that later you took colin and then colin took me and then I know, uh, like, Chesky has gone on the same thing with uh, our man Sasha. Like, how did that first one go down? Well, my very first European tour, I don't even know, but it was awesome. I mean, besides the fact that at my point, I was at my lowest point in my personal life, at professionally, it was awesome. I mean, I, we linked up with Zoen. It was me. Raphael, who is Zoen, Isaac, Swordplay, and Ridlor, Hamadi. And it was when I first met Rid, who became my good friend after that. So we all just put our heads together. And I mean, Zoen books like three shows. I booked three shows. Rid books two shows. And Isaac books a show. And, you know, next thing you know, we have like 10 shows or so. And we're playing in squats in Amsterdam and Prague and... France and Germany and playing venues and, you know, eating these fucking deli trays, which we had never gotten in the U.S. We're like, hell yeah, bread and cheese before the show. So, you know, it was just really a lot of hard work and diligence. And that's completely independent of the second tour, which was me and Burnham. And that was 100 percent booked by Sasha, who did an amazing job. And that's when we really got into the nitty gritty shit, you know, playing Russia, playing Belarus, playing Poland, playing Romania and just these insane places. And Sasha, I guess, had been a fan of my music and that's how he got a hold of me. And, you know, I think he had a bit of an ear for underground hip hop because he really took a liking to some of my friends and I can't remember if I played him Chesky or who I played him, but you know, me and Burnham, I think, and I haven't seen Colin play in years, but I mean, we were at our pinnacle at that point or I was, I don't know if he was, but I mean, aside, there was a lot of tension because it was gritty 
and we're fighting, I'd say 70% of the time. And the other time, you know, <laughs> we're just fucking hugging it out, you know, or, you know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like some like friendship ending type shit, but it was just crazy. And I was crazy at the time. He was crazy at the time. <laughs> That's how it usually goes with us. But, but it was, it was, it was a great tour and it opened a lot of avenues and, you know, Russia and all that. I feel like you're one of the only MCs to ever play Belarus in history. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that the guy who was promoting the show, who I think was also named Sasha, maybe, or I don't know. There's a lot of Sasha's over there. So we'll just call him Sasha. And He's like, oh, yes, the only group that played here before you was Onyx. And I'm like, hell yeah. I've been listening to Onyx my whole life. So I think Onyx was the first, and me and uh, P.T. Burnham were the second. And I can see why we might have been the last, because they tried to keep us in their country. They didn't want to let us go. Yeah, you had to, like, smuggle yourself out, right? Basically. Did you guys play Belarus on that tour? Or were, I think Sasha, Russian Sasha, was sort of probably just, like, fuck it at that point, right? No, we we actually booked a show in Belarus, and something weird happened. Like, a guy that was supposed to help us get out through the fucked-up border was, like, not in town. Oh. Uh, yeah. And we ended up having to, like, drive... Back the other way into Russia. Oh, God, that's brutal. <laughs> so we, like, yeah, we didn't even, like, play. Yeah, that that tour was pretty wild. Belarus, god damn, it reminds me of Youngstown, man. It really reminds me of Youngstown. And that's, <laughs> like, Youngstown is, like, a state where, like, uh, Leninism has been dead for, like, 50 years or something. That's Youngstown, but, yeah. That that's Belarus. I mean, that literally is Belarus. But there's a lot of bleak parallels. So, was there a point for you where you started to be frustrated with music to the point where you just didn't want to do it as much? I can tell you exactly when I really stopped wanting to rap, and it's after I moved to Austin. And you know, I felt my music was really waning a little bit as far as popularity. And as far as I didn't really feel like I had anything to say and I go on a tour. Now, when I first moved to Austin, it took a while, but when I first moved to Austin, I toured with the logic, the logic and uh, Baker and that goes great. You know, it was great as it can for independent rap and, you know, DIY style, but a book, or I, I barely even booked this one. That's how out of touch I was at the point. But maybe like six or seven months later, me in a Greenlander, JT, and Jeff, JFF, Jeff Ritchie, we go out on a full-scale U.S. tour. Now, we start in Texas, and we end, me and JT end in Ohio. And uh, I met up with my girlfriend at the time there and just hung out in Ohio, but I'm living in Texas. So... I mean, everything about the tour just fucking sucked. And I just wasn't as into it. I didn't really have any new music. I'm just really short-tempered, I think, and moody and depressed. And in the beginning of the tour, I'm like, I'm not going to drink at all, you know? By the end of drinking a tud. 
And I was bored at every show. I mean, it was a pain in the ass. It was agonizing for me to sit through rap shows and play with these rappers. Now we're playing with rappers or bands I'd never heard of. These aren't like my homies. These aren't my friends. These are just whoever. I seriously don't know who they are to this day. Most of them, some nice people, but it was just boring. And I'm in the car just every day reading like Charles Bukowski and Hunter S Thompson and like buying books. I'm a little older now. I think I was 28 or 29 at the time. And I just, I kept saying during the tour, this is it. This is my last tour. I'm retiring after this. So I get back to Austin and I forget if I, if I was hope I was hosting an open mic for a little bit in Austin and I don't know, somewhere along the line, I just got really burnt out and I was, I ran out of things to say. I really started to resent underground rap to the point where I'd even talk shit on it on Facebook. And my friends were like, well, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? And looking back, I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I was just like, fuck every white rapper, like all this silly stuff, you know? And I, I, I retired, you know, I had a last show in Youngstown and it was wild. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. And the retirement, of course, didn't stick. Do they ever in rap? And right, you know, I'd play sporadically. I never, I haven't recorded music then since then, but I'd play sporadically. I played with one of the hieroglyphics guys. I think it was Opio or no, no, no. It was casual, and you know, I do the South by thing, and oh, sure. you know, I was rapping a little when it came to shows. I mean, a few times a year. Most recently, it must have been May, I toured Europe with Six O and Chesky, and I seriously feel like I got it all out of my system. Now, this is being recorded, and I don't know if it'll stick, because who knows, but I, I haven't rapped since that show in May. I've had, like, zero desire. I'm just like, all right, I got it all out of my system. What did it feel like to be like, I'm done, to be, you know, to be in Austin and be like, I'm not doing music? You know, I started doing an electropunk project and tried to start some bands after that. And, you know, I was starting from scratch and none of that really worked out. And in a lot of ways, I felt really relieved because I didn't have to tour anymore. Rents a lot higher in Austin. I wanted to sort of start a new life for myself in Austin. And in a lot of ways, it was really positive. And in other ways... I really lost that sense of community and I lost touch with a lot of people. And, you know, I stayed in touch with some like people like Brzezowski and Chesky. They're always going to be my friends. And, you know, there's more than that, but just as an example, but I really lost that sense of community. And I feel like after I stopped touring, fake four really started taking off. And a lot of those guys stopped touring and they became the touring rap sort of dudes, you know? Yeah, definitely. What was your next move? Like, like was Rust Belt Hammer the next? That took years. Focus? It's funny because I was doing Peaks, Ohio, which was my electro punk. And I did some shows and it was fun. It was a blast. JT made the beats, Greenlander. And trying to think what else. And then I was playing bass in a band and then I switched to vocals and, it just ne- nothing ever really came of it. And then there was a point where I just wasn't doing anything creatively. 
and I was depressed and I had really low self-esteem at the time and I started boxing. So it was a little under, under a year, but I mean, I dedicated my life to boxing and I gained slowly, but surely I gained 20 pounds. I was in a lot better shape and boxing was sort of my life at that point. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's anything, you know, I'd post about it on Facebook, but yeah, boxing became my life. And then I got a job, another job where it wasn't conducive to my hours with boxing, which sucked. I still miss boxing. You know, I never uh, had even an amateur Mm. fight, but I was training and I wasn't doing shit. You know, I was just, I don't know, maybe I was smoking weed at the time. And it's funny that might've opened some creative doors. Cause you know, when, when you're high on the weed, it, it makes you have funny thoughts and <laughs> I don't smoke weed right now, but I, I was smoking a lot of weed at the time. And I started that Rust Belt Hammer website and that was about two years ago. And out of that sort of came the idea for the movie. I started to get more in touch with my punk roots and it's like, hell yeah, I'm doing something creative and people were paying attention to Rust Belt and Hammer I'm going to make this movie. And that's sort of when I started being creative again. And luckily that hasn't stopped, you know, I'm still sort of riding that wave of creativity. Making, deciding to make a documentary. That seems so crazy to me, like such an overwhelming thing. Like what made you think it's more than just like a cool idea? Like, like made you want to be like, I got it make this reality. I mean, shit, at first I thought it was just a cool idea and it would be just a little thing shown for a few people for shits and giggles. But my friends, Colby, uh, Grimes and, uh, Jorge Matthew De La Rosa, who were equally responsible for the film. They're my partners in the film. They had been making like, they made a, a small documentary about our friend, uh, Frank Bockard who passed away and they were doing like low budget horror stuff on a local level. I mean like no budget horror stuff. And I was like, let's make this movie. Let's make it about Cleveland hardcore. I have an idea. I know like two people from the scene, but let's do it. And that's how it started. And it just turned into a a beast all of its own. How intensive was the process, you know, of, of interviewing all these guys and tracking people down? It was crazy. I mean, I was in Ohio a lot. And by a lot, I mean every few months for a few, like, 15-hour days at a time, you know, of recording people and doing interviews. And then they did the editing process, which was just another grueling process to go through. And, you know, we're gathering all these flyers and all this video footage. And, I mean, it was awesome and it was fun. And a lot of the drama came closer to when the movie was being released and a lot of the more stressful things and You know, it was just a crazy learning experience. And I think that looking back, it's a little rushed. I think the film was a little rushed and, you know, it was just overwhelming. I mean, when you have like Vice Magazine and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hitting you up, you're like, holy shit, let's get this movie out. Let's do this. Right, right. But you felt like. It could have used a little more time or something. Yeah, and I'm a perfectionist, and I'm also, you know, I I, I let my anxiety get the best of me. And, you know, after the film, I'm like, no, no, this is not how I wanted it to turn out. Like, it's all fucked up. Everything's wrong. 
But, you know, that's just how I am about all my work. That's how I've been about all my albums. That's how I've just been about everything, which sucks. But, you know, that's where the anxiety came in about the movie for me in a big way. Well, it seems like the response has been insane, you know? Yeah, overall, it's been really positive. And I've had the chance to show the movie all over the country, whether I've been there or not. I've been there for a lot of it, but there's other showings I haven't. And it's just really cool. I'm taking the movie to Australia and New Zealand. And about two months, I'm going down there and showing the movie a handful of times. And, you know, it's great because I... I love when my art allows me to travel and that's, that's just, I'm, I'm just super excited. Is it like similar to like booking a show you like arrange a screening or. Yeah. But in a lot of ways it's like being a, a popular rapper or something. Cause more people I think hit me up than I hit up. You know what I mean? Like people already know about right. the movie and they want to see the movie and you know, they're giving me these offers. So I'm not just some unknown rapper or some obscure rapper. It's like, oh, here's this movie. We got to have it in our city. And, you know, let's get you here. Let's do this. And it's nice. Do you have things in, in mind for the future for similar projects? I do, but I don't know. At this point, I'm just sort of riding the wave of Destroy Cleveland for a few more months before I really sit down and think about what I want to do next because I have a few different ideas. And I've just really come to love being a documentarian. And, you know, whether it's through the website or through film or whatever I can do, I just love documenting the punk and the hardcore and just the weirdo scenes from northeast ohio or even you know surrounding rust belt cities or states i'm excited to see what you do from here yeah it's definitely uh an open-ended road right now i i have a lot of different options and yeah we'll see we'll see because I, I really have no idea but i love film i love film as an artistic medium and it's something i definitely want to pursue and i want to learn more about well is there anything else you want to mention no i I think that's about it i mean i would like to say i guess one thing one of my most important piece of work to myself and to me personally the most near and dear album to my heart is 27 which is my second full-length album and it's sort of an album yeah. about spiritual struggle and death. And I had a lot going on in my life at the time. It's one I recorded at the end of my first European tour in France. And I just, you know, if there's something I want to be remembered by, you know, being a road warrior is awesome. The experience with the 12 inch and the first album trapped is great, but I feel like 27 is my defining work and, you know, I can't force people to remember my catalog or remember MC homeless by that. But if you haven't heard 27, I would say, check it out. It's, it's definitely, it's a dark album and I feel like it's, it's my best album. And it's funny. Cause I mean, it only probably sold like, you know, under 300, 400 copies, but it was definitely my most, my most intimate album. I really bared it all on that one. And, 
you know, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to go down in history or if it's ever going to be rediscovered or I don't know who's listening to it now, but I feel like it's definitely my defining piece of work. Oh, tight. Yeah. Well, I'll let you go, man. Um, thanks again for, for coming on. Hey, thank you. I definitely appreciate it. Thanks again to Matt. See you next week.